will you be my friend? That's what I said when I was a five-year-old boy who had just moved to Georgia. Uh, my mom describes uh, this, this time in my life when we had just moved there like two weeks before and I was five years old so I wasn't old enough to go to school but all of my older siblings were and my mom tells me that on that day, that first Monday of school, I looked out the window, eyes peeled, ready to see someone who was like me, someone who was my age, who I could make a friendship with. And at the first moment, the first kid that I saw, she says that I ran out the door, ran to this little stranger and asked, will you be my friend? And in that moment of a five-year-old's desperation for a relationship, I think we can learn something. That even at that age, I understood and every child understands that isolation, being alone, is not a livable experience. It's not something that we can endure for very long. And with the impatience of a five-year-old, I couldn't wait any longer. But all of us still, we feel the need for proximity and the need for relationship. And what that speaks to is a rightful contempt for what we're talking about today, which is isolation. We cannot stand to be isolated. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk about it. But I also want to just say this one right here, isolation, is we're talking about this in the midst of a pandemic that has given us stories that give our lives an emotional weight, an emotional burden. You see, the pandemic and all that's gone, in, gone on has been filled with stories of heartbreaking isolation. Men and women just forgetting who they are and what they do when they're quarantined. Or the more heartbreaking stories of men and women isolated on a hospital bed with no loved one to hold their hand as they pass, only the stranger that they call nurse or doctor. There is an emotional weight to what's been going on in the last six or seven months, and it has to do with this reality of isolation. And so we want to talk about isolation. We want to talk about uh, not what it is. I don't have to explain that to you. That should be pretty obvious. But I want to talk about uh, what it does to us and why uh, isolation happens to us. And so first, what does isolation do to us? Isolation begins, the, begins to wilt the soul of a human being. There is nothing more dangerous than prolonged isolation for a human being. That we, it begins to undo the fabric of who we are. We begin to unravel as human beings when we have to endure prolonged isolation. And this is because we are made in the image of a God who is triune. That as Christians, we believe that God for all of eternity has existed as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has made us in that communal image. And so because of that, we cannot stand it goes against the grain of who we are when we isolate. Isolation for the human being is an existential crisis. It begins to unravel the foundation of who and what we are. And so that's what isolation does to us. It just unravels us and we become manic, both in the maybe emotional sense of that term, but also in the professional and medicinal term we begin to go crazy, quite literally. We cannot stand to be isolated. So that's what it does to us. But 
Maybe more importantly, I, th I think we maybe all see and recognize what it does to us, but maybe we don't see why isolation happens to us. And I think it happens for some, uh, some reasons that we cause and then also just some reasons that uh, others may have caused in our life. And so, so the first reason why isolation happens to us is because of what uh, th this great term that old uh, church fathers used to say, it's this Latin term, uh, homo in se in curvatas. And what that means is the inward curving of the human soul. That when God created us human beings, he meant for us to be outward reflecting, to be these mirrors that image back to him and to the world what he is like. His goodness, his glory, his worth, and his majesty. We were meant to reflect outward and be outward facing human beings. But at the moment of the fall, something happened to us that outward mirror fell in on itself. No longer are we creatures who are concerned with imaging forth the good and glorious God, but rather we become a constant self-feedback loop. That we are turned in on ourselves. And when we are turned in on ourselves like we are, isolation quickly follows. Because when we're turned in on ourselves and we become selfish human beings, then we begin to filter every other relationship that we could have through those selfish principles of the inward curve of our human soul. When we are only concerned about ourselves, then every other relationship has to go through the uh, selfish filters that we have put up. And when they don't meet that criteria, when others don't meet the standards that we think we have to have, then we begin to isolate. We begin to say words like, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. It's selfish. We turn inward and we filter every other possibility for relationship and connection with others through what can they give me? And here's what I want from them. If they're not going to give that, I don't want that relationship. And we isolate. And so that's kind of the way that isolation might be self-inflicted. But I think maybe more often... Isolation is something that we feel we have to do, that we feel like we're forced into a corner. And we, we think that way for some really valid reasons. You see, kind of like what we talked about in our shame story, all of a, in our shame session, all of us are living a story. All of us are constantly learning who we are and what we are by the succession of different events and relationships. And for many of us, relationships have not been a safe place. They've not been a place of meaningful connection. They've not been a place of safe relationships of depth and vulnerability. And so we've learned through experience that relationships are dangerous. That the only one I can depend on is myself. We isolate out of our woundedness. We isolate because we have this feedback loop from the story that's been going on in our life that other people are not safe. And maybe we don't feel that other people are safe precisely because we feel like we're not worthy of relationship. Which again ties back our anxiety and our shame session that these two things play together to begin to make us think that relationship, meaningful connection with other human beings is not an option because I am this way. And I'm anxious about that relationship because I am this way. 
these things all work together. And so we isolate out of anxiety or shame or woundedness. We feel backed into a corner and helpless to find real connection in relationships. So how, how can we help this? How can this be changed? Well, well I want to talk about, in terms of isolation, what you can call the imminence of God. And so the theologians talk about the transcendence of God, that he is high and lofty and above his, his creation, that he is in a different category. But also the Bible makes really clear that he is both uh, transcendent and imminent, that he is near his creation. He is near his creation. He's with it. He's not a deistic God who's just far off, but he's actually concerned with his creation and actually inserts his presence into the world that he has made. Listen, listen to this from Psalm 139. And this is a, a kind of a classic text, but listen to how the psalmist describes this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. What the psalmist just described there is a God who is both attentive and who is imminent who is near. And we talk about, we, we might know that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, that we accept that with our minds. But what that means is that God is everywhere, that God, he's with everything. And, and we forget that God is not everywhere simply because that's who he is, because he's God, but God intends to be where he is. And so if his presence is everywhere in this world, then he intends to be in that place, which, which opens up the possibility of a meaningful connection with him everywhere. No matter whether we're in forced quarantine in our basement or not, he is there and he intends to be there with love and goodness and with kindness. And that can create a sense of wonder that this world is no longer the dark place of isolation in which I must refuse or run from connection with relationships, but it is now the place in which I can meet the living God in his presence. That there is nowhere I can go, there's no corner I can be backed into in which I cannot find in a meaningful, healing way the presence of a good God. He is imminent. He is near. And then even more than that, if you look through the rest of the Bible and get to the New Testament, it shows that us as Christians are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And this is a, a wonderful mystery that the Holy Spirit of God, after we've trusted in Jesus, would actually come into us, make his home in us. He's connected with us in a meaningful way. We have his Holy Spirit no matter what we, no matter where we are. He's in us. Where we go is where he is. He's with us in a meaningful way. But then not just that. 
Not only is God omnipresent and, and able, we're able to connect with him in a meaningful way, no matter where we are, no matter that not only have we been given his Holy Spirit, but also we have what you might call the emotional, relational eminence of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is unique because it gives us a, it shows us a God who knows to the depths in his bones every suffering that we've gone through. Jesus knows isolation. Hours before the cross, weeping in that garden, asking the Father if there's any other way, can we do that? Weeping and in the moment of need of a friend, his three closest friendships, just a stone's throw away, sleeping, unable to give him the dignity of staying up and praying with him. He was alone. And if any human being was ever isolated, was ever cut off from the rest of humanity and from God, it was Jesus Christ hanging on that dark hill of isolation just outside Jerusalem. He knows it. And Hebrews says that he remembers it and that he relates to us because he remembers. He knows our isolation. He knows the way that it wilts the human soul. And because of that, he empathizes with us. He has an emotional withness, a relational nearness that that can connect with us in every moment of isolating pain that we feel. Not only that, but also he's given us his church. And you need to hear this, friends. Connect with a local church. Because if we've been given his spirit, then that means that we can connect with other human beings in the church. That's a, meaning, that's, a, that's a right in front of you option for meaningful relationship. Friends, the Bible is one long story about God doing everything necessary to be with his creation. Isolation is an untrue story. It tells us that we are alone, but the Bible tells us that we have a God who is bent on doing everything it takes to be near to us. From the the beginning in Genesis, walking in the cool of the garden, throughout the Old Testament, living and dwelling in a tabernacle, all the way to the New Testament, Jesus coming in, in the flesh that the presence of God, Eskeneo, dwelling with us, tabernacling with us in his in his world, now giving us his Holy Spirit while he's gone and promising that one day he will return. And what's the great promise of the new heavens and new earth? That he will be with us.